0: Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at AtlanticFreeChurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Colossians three twenty three through 24 Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Proverbs 18.9 Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 23.4-5 Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Well, good morning. It's great to be together. We're so glad you're here on this holiday weekend. A few things I'm going to say before I get us into the the word. The first is we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. So if you are worshiping with us at home, I invite you to Even now, as I'm kind of introducing here, go grab some bread or some crackers, whatever it might be, and some kind of fruit of the vine so that you can participate with us, worship with us there at home by taking communion. We'll be doing that as we finish up the sermon and go right into that. And if you are here in the room and did not get one of these little cups, we'll see that you get one. We'll bring them around when we get to that part of the service. This is what we'll be using this morning. I wanted to urge you to keep praying for, for those friends who need Jesus. Uh, the uh, That Will Graham Celebration Iowa Festival in the Wells Fargo Arena, beginning of October, is coming up. It's about a month away now. And um, we actually heard, we haven't kind of been able to figure out the details on this yet, but there's a possibility they may be letting... Um, places stream that so if you've kind of thought well i'd love to participate in that maybe bring a friend or two or a family member to that who doesn't know jesus yet uh, but i don't want to drive all the way to the wells fargo arena that's you know 150 miles round trip or whatever it is i don't know if we want to do that we may we don't know yet we're still working on details but we may even be able to host one or two of those here we're we're trying to find out but but keep praying for your friends whether you're going to bring them to wells fargo or not um Next week, Lee said this, so I don't have to say much about it. But I did want to just make sure folks know next week's a a big day in the life of our church. Um, We will be formally launching. The congregation voted months ago to uh, rename the church. We are going to be the we are the Grace Point Church, uh, an evangelical free church. We're still EFCA; none of that's changed. But we we felt for a bunch of reasons to do that, so that becomes official publicly next Sunday. And so we kind of thought you need a marker and we want to celebrate that together. I'm going to preach a sermon about our core values as a church and remind you why we would even go with that sort of a name and what we're all about here. Uh, And and there's just lots of little logistical things, but we needed a marker. And so that marker is next Sunday. Uh, This morning, somebody called... Uh, to confirm the worship time it being a holiday weekend and I picked up the phone and uh, I, you know Atlantic Evangelical Free Church and I was like oh I'm going to have to do that different (laughs) a week from now and there's all those little kinds of changes that are coming but uh, anyway that's a big uh, a a marker point in the life of our church so we hope you can be here next Sunday and as Lee mentioned we're also going to have like an extra worship service just praise and worship no sermon or anything like that but a praise and worship uh, celebration on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock here uh, so, yeah, that's what we're doing next week. This week, though, we are going to talk about work. And thank you so much to Angie for, for getting us into that a little bit with a couple of verses I, I asked her to read. Uh, turn to the book of Proverbs and just be in Proverbs, or you can open up the Bible app and, and do it that way. But we're going to be looking at some different Proverbs this morning that help us understand uh, on Labor Day weekend, that help us think about our work in a godly way. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get right into that. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside, and the, it is, uh, it's enjoyable in and of its own right, uh, but it's uh, symbolic and emblematic of all of your provisions. So many ways you so bountifully care for us. Uh, you don't owe us anything, uh, and, you give, and yet you give us so much. And so we thank you, Lord for that today we thank you for the bible we thank you for the 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 bible sitting here in our lap and sitting here in front of me that that god himself you yourself have spoken to us here in the words of scripture and we would pray now for ourselves as we meditate on the book of proverbs and on a particular topic from from proverbs that you would be our teacher by your spirit help us to understand these things in the in the broader bigger picture but very concretely in our own lives and in our own families in jesus name we ask this Amen. Well, it's probably a little early to say this for sure, but a lot of people think the coronavirus is going to really change the way we work. Have you heard that? Have you seen stories or heard news reports? A lot of experts are saying the workplace will never be the same again. And you can see why they might say that. I mean, there there have been a lot of changes around the coronavirus. Uh, More people work from home now. And fewer people are spending as much time in the office. There are more video meetings and fewer business handshakes. There's uh, more jeans and sneakers and a lot less suits and high heels. So you, that's definitely a change uh, that's happened as well. And like I say, it's a little early still, I think, to say for sure all the changes. But they're probably right. There are going to be changes as a result of this, uh, this pandemic we've been going through. And I was thinking about that because the Bible is interested in this question. The Bible is interested in how we do our work. Uh, Not so much in terms of home offices and handshakes, but but in terms of how we approach it, our attitude, the attitude that we have about our work and how we do it is actually important to God. It's a big part of our lives, and it's an important thing to Him as well. And that's what I'd like to talk about on uh, on Labor Day weekend. It seemed a good opportunity to, to address something so practical and important in our lives. And so I want to talk about how God wants us to work. And in particular, I mean, that's a big, sprawling topic. We could talk about that a lot. But in particular, I want to narrow it a little bit by looking at the biblical book of Proverbs, God's wisdom book. Uh, We we heard a few minutes ago, actually, a verse from Colossians. And I asked Angie to read that uh, that short little passage from Colossians 3. Uh, The verses she read for us say that we should do our work for the Lord, right? With the idea that His eyes are on us, and so our eyes should be on Him as we do our work. Uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it heartily as working for the Lord, as for the Lord and not for men, it says. And the idea there is that we should work the way God wants us to work. It's kind of this basic principle for for believers. Uh, We should work the way God wants us to work. And this is where I'm going to bring us to Proverbs, because there are a bunch of verses, actually, in Proverbs. And we're not going to be able to go through all of them. I, I don't want you to think this is an exhaustive study of work in Proverbs. It's more of a sampler approach this morning. But there are a bunch of verses in Proverbs that help us understand this. right, so how does my Creator and my Savior, want me to approach my work. And so we're going to look at that question this morning. And, and how I've, I've kind of boiled this out, how I want to look at this with you, is I want to talk about two principles, two principles from Proverbs that help us understand how God wants us to work. Now, before we start, before I get into those, I have two kind of uh, caveats, I guess, or I don't know if caveat's not the right word, but two, two things I want us to keep in mind as we look at this this morning. Uh, the first thing is I want you to realize that what we're saying this morning applies to all kinds of work. Right? It's, it's all sorts of work, whether you're a, you're a student or a homemaker or a salesperson or a farmer, or if you're retired, you're working too. You do volunteer work. You do work around your home. You, maybe you do kind of a little on the side. I, there's, what we're talking about today applies to whatever it is we put our hands to, to be industrious and productive for the Lord, you don't, we're not talking necessarily about getting paid for it. All right, so it's, it's, these principles apply to all sorts of work. The second thing I want to say is I want to stress that we are not saved by doing any of this. So important, especially on Communion Sunday, to say this. Uh, Proverbs is not about how you get saved. God will not love you better or forgive you more if you have the attitudes I'm talking about this morning. You can be a really lousy worker, right? You can do everything wrong in the sermon I'm telling you about this morning and still be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should burn with a desire to get these things right because this is what your Lord wants for you. But none of this is about salvation. Uh, Proverbs is a wisdom book, and God has given it to us to equip us to live wisely in the world that he has created. And so it's filled with observations and advice about the best way to live. And what we're doing this morning is we're looking at the best way to live when it comes to our work, when it comes to, to the work that we do. And the best way to work is to work God's way. That's really what we're, we're thinking about this morning. So let's, let's look at these two things. Let's talk about two ways the Lord wants us to do our work. The first way is that he wants us to be diligent, so we should work diligently. The Lord wants us to work diligently. And this is a theme that runs through the book of Proverbs. And there are several of them, but I'm going to zoom in on two because they're representative and especially useful for understanding here. Two specific Proverbs. And what these two Proverbs do is they show us the benefits. The benefits of, of diligent work. And this is helpful, actually, because it, it helps us understand where the God is coming from in this the Lord wants us to work diligently. He addresses this topic in the Bible for our own good. That's what you'll see with these two benefits. It's for our own good. It is not that God needs us to be diligent, right? God's not up there in heaven going, boy, I wish they'd work harder so I could get more done. Yeah, that that is not how this works. God tells us to be diligent because it's good for us to be diligent, right? And you'll see that in these two proverbs. So, and this, this is true whether you're a student, whether you're working from home all of a sudden because of the pandemic or whatever it is. Uh, it is good for us to do what God says here. So two benefits, or, yeah, the best way to think about it, two benefits. First benefit of working diligently is that you avoid all the trouble that comes with not working diligently. There's a lot of damage that's done when people are, well, we'll use the word, lazy, or when they're, they're not diligent in their work. And, and we see this in a warning. We get a warning proverb, Proverbs chapter 18. So again, you can follow along in the Bible app, or you can open this up in your Bible, Proverbs 18, verse 9. It's one of the ones Angie read for us. And I'm actually going to put these, I don't always do this, but I thought it would be helpful, a sermon like this, to put them on the, on the wall as well. So Proverbs 18, 9 says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. See, there's a problem. There's a problem when people are not diligent, and the problem is they actually hurt things. They hurt people. They hurt the work that they're supposed to be doing. They cause destruction. Uh, that's, That's what that proverb says. Now, now, let me tell you this. We're not going to go systematically through all of these, but there are actually five words. If you sit down and you do a, a study on work in the book of Proverbs, and you do, and, I, and I've done this, you do kind of a word study on the different words for work, there's actually five. There are five different Hebrew words for work or workers, worker or workers, that are used in, in the book of Proverbs. And they kind of, there's some variety there. There's a range on these words. The word here in Proverbs eighteen nine is a, it's actually the most positive of the five words. And so it's a word that emphasizes um, skilled labor or craftsmanship, kind of bringing uh, the skills and the abilities and the talents you have to your work, right? So we'll look at some more negative words that emphasize how hard work can be sometimes. But this word is kind of lifting up uh, the honorable nature of work, okay? And so this is a proverb about people who reject that, one who is slack in his work. And the word here for slack, um, it, it's other places where this is used, it would describe someone whose hands are in the air and then they, they get tired and they just let them go. And so they drop to their sides. And so that word slack is what it means. So, so that's the picture. Someone who, when it comes to their work, they're not working, they're, they're slack. Maybe their they're hands are buried in their pockets or they're, I don't know, tweeting away on their phone or, or something like that that's, that's not productive. That's, that's the, the picture here. That kind of a person, Proverbs 18, 9 says, uh, that kind of approach to work is brother to one who destroys. So brother, that's a close relation, right? So someone who's slack in his or her work is, is a close relative to someone who destroys. And this word for destroys, the, the word destruction there, uh, it's, it's actual destruction. It's, um, it's the carnage that would be wreaked Uh, If an army attacked a city and they tore down the walls and burned all the buildings, it's carnage, it's destruction. It's the pictures you've seen over the last week from Hurricane Ida, what it did down on the Gulf Coast, and then what it did up in the Northeast when that kind of storm came back around with all that moisture. It's carnage, it's destruction. That's the picture that's used here for those who are slack in their work. They cause lots and lots of trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that verse is a little surprising especially if you think in terms of the kind of the anti-virtue of, of, of laziness, because a lot of times we think of laziness as uh, a passive problem. Right? So if somebody's lazy, the, you know, the work, it'll get done eventually, but it won't get done as quick. And, and so this kind of foot-dragging kind of picture that, that you know, so it's a passive problem a lot of times. But that's actually not what the proverb says. The proverb says that it's actively destructive. It, it is brother to one who destroys. It does actual damage. It hurts people, it hurts businesses, it hurts yourself when, when we are not diligent. I'll give you an example. Uh, the, the Battle of Trenton uh, from uh, the American Revolutionary War, the Battle of Trenton, 1776, was was one of the pivotal battles in the Revolutionary War. If If the, if the, American, uh, if the American colonies had lost the Battle of Trenton, the whole thing would have been over uh, before it had barely begun the british commander the british commander at trenton was actually a german officer whose name was Johann rall the r-a-l-l Johann rall colonel rall and the story goes that in the hours before the battle and i don't know if you remember trent the battle of trenton was actually fought on christmas night uh in the hours before that battle colonel rall was in his headquarters playing cards He was in his headquarters playing cards with his other officers. And as they were playing cards, a messenger came into the room and he he hands this note to the colonel, the officer in charge. He says, this is a very important message. You need to read this. And and what the message said was apparently some spies had picked up that George Washington was crossing the Delaware River with his soldiers and headed for Trenton. That's what the message said. Rawl, however, never read the note. He actually just stuck it in his coat pocket and never read it. After all, it was a good card game, and uh, he just figured he'd get to it later. A few hours later, the Americans attacked, the British forces were defeated, and Colonel Rahl was killed. He actually lost his life in that battle. Johann Rahl was slack. Right? It's a perfect picture of what this is talking about. He was slack in his work, and for him and his men, it meant destruction. One who was slack in his work, his brother to one who destroys. Uh, the other benefit, I said there were two in Proverbs, the other benefit of, of diligence is really the other side of the story. So that one's kind of a, a negative one. Uh, but so, so, so not being diligent, or excuse me, being diligent avoids trouble, uh, but being diligent also brings reward. It, it brings a reward, and, and that's the other benefit that Proverbs will talk about. Uh, diligent work leads to reward. Now, there are exceptions, There are exceptions, just like the trouble one. Maybe you've known some people who were not diligent and they just kind of coasted through life and everything seemed to go fine for them. Sometimes there are exceptions like that. Uh, And the same thing is true here. Sometimes there are exceptions. Sometimes diligent people get kicked in the teeth. Maybe some of you have had that experience. You, You worked hard, you were on time every day, a little early, you stayed late, and you still got passed over. That's true. In a fallen world, that happens sometimes. Proverbs is, Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of principles. It's how things work in general. And so sometimes there are these exceptions, but generally speaking, what God's word says, generally speaking, workers who are diligent will be rewarded. That faithfulness will be rewarded. And where we see this, and again, there's a couple of them, but this one's representative is Proverbs 14:23. I'll put it up here. Uh, Proverbs 14:23 says in all toil and there's your word for work in all toil there is profit but mere talk tends only to poverty in all toil there is profit but mere talk tends only to poverty So that verse says diligence is rewarded that's what it says uh, unlike the first proverb, the word here for work is actually one of the ones that talks about how hard work is. So there's a, a shift in, in focus here. The first word was emphasized emphasized the honorable nature of work and then said there are people who neglect that. Uh, this word says, yeah, work is hard. Even honorable work is hard hard sometimes, and it takes a toll. And you wake up in the morning, and you're like, I don't want to get in again. I don't want to go out to those fields again. I don't want to do it again. I'm tired. Uh, but here's what helps us with that. There is a reward if we do. And what does the, what does the proverb say? In all toil, in that hard work, there is profit. There is profit. Uh, the Hebrew word here, definition, uh, describes a positive outcome. So it's not only financial profit, it's any positive outcome that is more valuable than the effort you put in. That, that's what that word means. And so basically what it's saying is if we're diligent in our work, we'll get out more than we put in. If we're diligent, we'll get out more than we put in. Now that might mean we'll be rewarded financially. That, that actually is in the, 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 the word range here, uh, and that's true, we, we might be rewarded financially. But you do have to understand that's not the only possibility because it doesn't always work out that way. But there are other forms of, of profit here in the way this word is used. And, and so it, it might mean uh, good health, right? Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll never hit the, hit the jackpot, but you, your, your health is good or you have you're, good, strong character or you have a good reputation in your community. People know they can trust you because you are diligent or your teacher, you know, maybe you're, you're not an A student, you know, maybe you're, you're you're getting mostly Bs, but then your, your your teacher sees what a diligent student you are, and and kind of bumps you up on, on some of those other uh, other criteria. And so that might be a way you profit from from being diligent in your work. And so the point the point of this proverb is that there are that you will be rewarded in some way or another. God will see that you are rewarded if you're diligent in in the work that you do. I love this story. A few of you will recognize the name uh, Bear Bryant, Paul Bear Bryant, He was a football coach uh, years ago. He's actually probably one of the greatest uh, football coaches in the college game of all time. He's best known for Alabama. He coached at uh, Alabama uh, in the 60s, 70s, a little bit into the 80s, and he won six national championships over the 25 years or so that he was at Alabama, kind of an icon of college football. Uh, one time when uh, Bear Bryant was getting ready for a game, uh, somebody, uh, getting his team ready for a game, somebody, uh, some, I don't know if they snuck a recorder into the locker room or what, but somebody managed to record his pregame speech to his, uh, to his players. And uh, here's what he said. This was before one of the big games that he coached. Uh, here's, what, here's what this uh, famous coach said. He said, in this game, there are going to be four or five plays. How many plays are there in a football game? Several dozen, right? 60, 70 more sometimes. In this game, there are just going to be four or five plays that will determine the outcome of this contest. Four or five plays that will swing the momentum toward us or away from us. Uh, I don't know which plays these will be, he said. You don't know which plays these will be. All you can do is go out there and give all that you have on each and every play. And if you're doing that on one of those crucial plays and you catch your opponent giving less, that play will swing things in our direction. And if we rise to the occasion like that on those four or five plays, we are going to leave here today a winner. I don't know if Bear Bryant was a Bible-reading man, but that speech would have made Solomon proud because that's what that proverb says. That's pretty much a distillation or an expansion, I should say, on on that prophet. In all toil, uh, on that proverb, in all toil there is profit. But mere talk, just talking about it, tends only to poverty. And I think all of that helps. It, it helps us to remember that diligence will be rewarded, both positively in terms of however God chooses to do that and, and in, that, in the negative sense of avoiding that which is negative. Uh, diligence is rewarded. Because work is hard. I mean, we can admit that on Labor Day weekend. Work is hard. Hopefully you're, you're engaged in work that you enjoy in some way or another. and I'm sure there's parts you don't like, though. And, and, and it's hard. It wears us out. It tears us down. And, and then it gets even harder when we can look around us, and we all can, and we can see people who aren't diligent. Right? We all know them, right? That, that guy at school who never studies and he still gets by, or that person who cuts corners, or that person who goofs off as soon as the boss walks out of the room. And, and when, we, when that happens around us, sometimes you, you kind of want to say, well, forget it then. Why am I working so hard? You know? Why am I working so hard when these other guys aren't? Well, do do all that you do, everything you do, do it under the Lord. Remember that the Lord uh, will reward you. So, so there's that, that side of it, right? We should work diligently because there are benefits to doing so. There are benefits to being diligent. There is, though, a counterbalancing side to this whole thing, all right? So now we're going to look at the other half of this. Yes, hard work is important. Hard work is valuable. And to be honest, I don't know that I've got to work real hard to sell that to this group. You're a hard-working bunch. Uh, but I'd like you to be reminded of it. It's, it's here in the Bible. Hard work is, is valuable. But there's also this whole side in the Proverbs that warns us that hard work can be taken too far. It, it can be taken too far. And that brings us to the, the other side of this. Uh, the second way God wants us to work is He wants us to work sensibly. Work sensibly. Sensibly, Yes, be diligent, but also be sensible. And, and by sensible, especially sensible with, with godly wisdom, driving the way that you approach your work. And uh, we actually see this, I want to show you three Proverbs now. And these three Proverbs together make two points, and really they're two characteristics. So you say sensible work. What does it look like to work sensibly? So let me, let me show you from Proverbs two characteristics of sensible work. All right? So, the first characteristic is that sensible work sets the right priorities. It's a big one. It's important in in Scripture. Sensible work has its priorities right. It's got its priorities straight. And where we see this, uh, the one I want to show you where we see it, is Proverbs 24, uh, 24 verse 27. Proverbs 24 verse 27 says this, prepare your work outside or uh, prepare your outside work another translation flips them Uh, i kind of like that better actually prepare your outside work get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that build your house now at first you kind of what's that about but really all that's saying is do the important stuff first Set the right priorities. That's what that proverb means. Um, and, and think about it. You know, imagine like a pioneer, because that's kind of the idea here. You know, Somebody who's, who's new to a plot of land, perhaps, and that would happen in the ancient world. So imagine if you, you, you come to a homestead sort of a situation. If you build the house first, and you kind of make it real nice, and you deck out the kitchen as nice as you want it, and you put the pool in the back, and all this kind of stuff. If you build the house first, but you don't take care of the fields, you'll have a real nice house, but you won't have any food to eat. That's, that's the, the idea here. Uh, you won't have a crop that comes in or livestock that are ready to go to market so that you can sell them and buy clothes to clothe your family and feed your family and pay your taxes so the king doesn't take your land away and all this kind of a thing. Uh, if, you, if you do the house first, but you don't take care of the, the work, you don't take care of the fields, you're, you're gonna, your, your priorities are wrong and you're going to get burned by that. And so that's really what this, is a proverb, what this proverb says. Is, is do first things first take care of the first things first order your priorities have a plan and make sure you work that plan right? start with the most important things that's sensible now sometimes in Proverbs it's just common sense and this is like that this is kind of just common sense if you're a student and you have two assignments right? you've got two big assignments one's due a week and a half from now the other one's due tomorrow which one do you do? You do the one that's due tomorrow. That's, that's what this proverb is saying, right? That this proverb's right there with that. You, you, you do the sensible, the wise thing. You do the one that's due. When it's harvest time, right? Now, we're a few weeks away, right? When it's harvest time, you, you go get the harvest, right? You focus on the harvest at harvest time. You don't spend your day painting the barn, are you kind of like, yeah, barn's looking a little dingy. I'm going to you know, paint it a new color. And meanwhile, the beans are dropping on the ground and things are going wrong out there because you're not bringing it in. What do you do? You First things first. You do the most important things first, the highest priorities. And so sometimes it's just common sense. Set the right priorities. Sometimes it's real clear what the right priorities are. Sometimes, though, it's not so clear. And that's actually what this second proverb is about in terms of right priorities. It's, it's Proverbs 28 verse nine, uh, 19, 28, 19. And this one is more about, it's more of an exhortation to cultivate the wisdom in the, set, in the way that you set priorities. So this one's kind of a, it's a learning curve sort of a thing. Here's what it says. It says, he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Uh, he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Uh, that Hebrew word fantasies uh, it basically describes something that's empty or worthless. In fact, I think uh, one of the other translations I meant to look it up says like vain, um, he, who, uh, he who chases vain things or something like that. Um, it, it's, the idea is that it's, it's empty. It's not worth chasing. He who chases fantasies. It, it's the fool's errand. It's the wild goose chase. It's the, it's the get-rich-quick scheme where the only person who gets rich is the con that's running the scheme. Uh, that, that's what that word means, that fantasies word. And so the point of Proverbs 28, 19 is that some work is not worth doing at all. And we need, by the help of the Holy Spirit and just pursuing wisdom, we need to, to learn how to tell the difference. That's what sensible workers do. They learn how to tell the difference between work that's worth doing and work that's not worth doing. And so some sensible workers, and this can actually kind of take on some different angles as, as you think about what this might look like. You know, for a student, it might mean making wise choices about the classes you take. You know, that basket-weaving class might look like a, a worth doing, but in the end, your, your future employer is not going to be impressed by it, perhaps. You know, that, that sort of a thing. Um, this proverb would apply to that. Um, it, it might apply to knowing what work somebody else should do. So maybe it's good work, but you're not equipped to do it, right? I think that would fit here. I, I was thinking about this. Um, we, Laura and I, have noticed recently we're probably going to need to kind of do our roof soon. Our roof, little things seem to fall off sometimes when it rains. Um, I think we might need to replace the roof in a, pretty soon. And uh, I could get up there myself, right? I could go up there and, you know, maybe watch a YouTube video about how to put a roof on, and I'm, I could probably figure that out, right? But those of you who know how not handy I am know that I would be chasing a fantasy if I tried to do that. If I just told Laura, yeah, I'm just going to put the roof on for us next weekend, honey. Uh, that, that would be me chasing a fantasy, and that wouldn't be sensible approach to my work. I'd be much better off saving up our money and, and paying somebody to do it. Or, uh, or, there, or this... Um, and actually I think this is the one that's most obviously applied to here, it's knowing that some work isn't worth having anybody do. There's some work that no one should be doing, and that's really what this, that, like I say, it's the first-level application here. It's work that's meaningless. It's vain. It's not worth doing. It's a fantasy no one should chase. Maybe a pyramid scheme would would be a, a good example of that, kind of getting pulled into something where there's no real value. It's just this person giving his money to this person who gives it to this person who gives it, and, and so on. There's no value exchange there. Uh, sensible workers... Learn by the grace of God and by the hard-earned wisdom of life how to tell the difference. They learn how to set the right priorities and then go after those priorities uh, in, a, in a way that's actively achieving the, those right goals. That's, that's what this proverb, and actually both of those two proverbs together, that's what they're, they're talking about. And so sensible work sets the right priorities. There is one priority, though, that should not be the focus. It should not be the focus of a believer's work. And that brings us to the second characteristic, the last thing we'll talk about, sensible characteristic of sensible work. Uh, The second characteristic is that it keeps the right perspective. So sensible work sets the right priorities, but it also keeps the right perspective on those priorities. And especially when it comes to money and wealth. That's really the focus. Proverbs talks about it a lot, actually. Uh, if you have the right perspective about wealth, you will be in good shape, whether you have wealth or not, right? (laughs) Maybe you have a lot, maybe you have a little, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, but if you have the right perspective about wealth, you'll be in good shape wherever you are on that spectrum. But if you have the wrong perspective about wealth, the Bible warns us, Proverbs warns us, it, it could ruin us. It could ruin your life if you have the wrong perspective. And uh, there are several that talk this way, but I'm going to focus this on one, uh, and it's the last passage we'll look at this morning. It's Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. And so if this one's two verses, and we'll actually take them one at a time. So Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not toil, there's the, a verb for work, I told you there are five in Proverbs, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. Or, or I kind of like the way the NIV puts this one. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Uh, sensible workers keep their work in perspective. That, that's what that's saying. They, they know it doesn't make sense to wear themselves out to, to make money. And again, let, let's put this in, uh, in context. Let's understand this correctly. This is not saying that it's wrong to work for money. It is not saying that profits are bad or it's wrong to turn a profit in your business. Uh, profits are good. Wages are good. I think if you have a right understanding of biblical economics, uh, that is very clear. Uh, profits are, are good when made in good, wholesome work. Uh, supporting our families is a good thing, right? Absolutely. I like the way one comedian put it. Uh, I work for a good cause, cause I need the money, All right? it, that's okay. It's more than okay. It's good. There's nothing wrong. One of the reasons God gives humankind work is specifically so that we can take care of those we love. It's, It's about provision. But when we turn provision into a relentless pursuit, right, when we take what God has given so that we can provide for those we love, when we turn that into a relentless pursuit of wealth, that, the proverb says, is foolish. It's, it's foolish, it's destructive. Uh, the word here, uh, wealth, uh, excuse me, toil, the word uh, toil is another one of those words for work. And this one is actually the bleakest of the five. Uh, you know, Solomon, as he's writing this, he really wants us to kind of, you know, almost picture this in grays, right? Somebody who's, who's toiling away to, to, to acquire that wealth. Uh, wear yourself out is a good translation. It's the picture of the person who's slumped over her desk, with exhaustion at the end of the day. She, she can't bear the thought of going home and now I have to spend time with my family and it's just, she's just so exhausted. Or this, you know, the guy, and he, he, he works a shift and then he, he pulls a double shift and, and he, he just drags in at the end of the day, 16 hours, I'm so exhausted. It's that kind of a picture, toiling uh, to, a, to acquire wealth. And, and this is true today. It was true in the ancient world. Too many people do exactly that. They do exactly that in the pursuit of wealth. And, and here's where the, our capacity for self-deception comes in because sometimes we say we're doing it for our families or we say we're doing it for the good of the, the company or the good of the church or the good of whatever, wherever we are. But That's what we say, but more often than we're willing to, to admit, we're really doing it for the props, right? We're, we're doing it uh, for, for ourselves. We're, we're wearing ourselves out for the next raise, the next bonus, the next promotion, uh, whatever it is. We're wearing ourselves out to get rich. Don't do that, he says. And then the next verse, verse 5, explains why. Here's why none of that is worth it. Here's why it's not worth it to wear yourself out to get rich. Uh, Verse 5, so do not toil to acquire wealth. Uh, Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is is wealth that you've been toiling yourself. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it spreads wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Suddenly, it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. When I was a little boy, seven, eight years old, um, a friend and I used to play this game. And what we would do is we would try to sneak up on robins in the backyard, uh, and uh, it was especially good when the grass got a little longer, because you know you'd get down and kind of commando crawl like a cat. Really, was the idea. We would try. He'd come from one direction. I'd come from the other, and we would try to to pounce on these you know robins like 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 a cat would do. I have no idea why we did this. <laughs> I really I don't know what we were going to do uh, with this these these robins. What we were going to do if we managed to catch one, I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't matter because we never got one not even once we never even got close the robins always always flew away in plenty of time that's how wealth is god says that's how wealth is just when we think we've finally caught it here we i got it i got it. It, it it sprouts wings and it flies away uh, like an eagle that wealth that success that little bit more and then i'll spend time with my family that little bit more it'll that will be enough it's always, it's always just out of reach. It's always just beyond our grasp. And so God says, don't do it. Don't live that way. Be sensible. Work sensibly. Don't spend your life chasing after wealth. Instead, keep your work in the right perspective. That's God's wisdom to us. The work that we do and how we do it it is important to God. Now, sometimes we put it in a box, kind of like the Monday through Friday box, don't think about it, this is a Sunday, we're going to be here to do other things. But our work is important to God. And, and you see that in Proverbs, right? We certainly have kind of spent some time on that today. But you know, I wanted to end with this because to me it's the most compelling argument for this whole subject in church. Uh, Jesus himself is our best proof. Jesus himself is our best proof that our work is important to God. Uh, think about it. Uh, the Gospels... The four Gospels tell us about the birth of Jesus especially Matthew right Matthew and Luke both tell us uh, about the birth of Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and all that stuff most of us are relatively familiar with that because of because of Christmas and so we have kind of the very early childhood of Jesus and then there's this gap of about 10 years maybe a a little less uh, where and then Luke drops us in when Jesus is 12 And Luke tells us about this thing that happens when Jesus is 12. He's on the cusp of manhood because 13 would be considered, you've now become a man. You've still got a long way to go, but that would be in their culture. And so when Jesus was a very old child, he goes to the temple and he's teaching the other, all the scholars, he's teaching them all. It's kind of this cool story where Jesus does that. And then the Gospels go silent. Right From age 12 to about age 30, which is the generally recognized age when Jesus would have started his public ministry, you have these 18 silent years. The gospels tell us virtually nothing about those 18 years in Jesus' life. And, and I, I wonder, have you ever thought about those years? I mean, what did he do? What did Jesus do in those years? How did he spend almost two decades of his time? And the answer is that he worked. He worked. When he shows up and he begins to minister and do miracles and, and teach and, and begin to draw these large crowds, how do people, what's their remark? It's, it's in Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Not isn't this the rabbi or isn't this the miracle worker or isn't this that nerdy little kid who just sat around reading, the, reading his scrolls all the time? No, isn't this the carpenter? That's what Jesus did. And if you, if you kind of look at it on a timeline, that's how he spent the majority of his time on earth. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, comes to earth, becomes a human being, fully God, fully man, and he spends the better part of two decades working. Just working and dignifying human work by doing so. That simple fact all by itself proves that God cares. He cares about the work that you do, whatever it is. I love how Dallas Willard put it. This comes from a kind of a well-known book he wrote a couple decades ago called The Divine Conspiracy. Willard says this, if Jesus were to come today, as he did then, he would carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, a doctor, Waiter, teacher, farmhand, lab technician, or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if Jesus were to come today, he could very well do what you do. Your work matters. It matters to God. And so, what does Proverbs tell us? Honor him. Honor him in your work. Honor him by working the way God wants you to work. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we pray you'd help us do that. We thank you for work. We thank you for the gift that it is. Thank you that you have given us uh, men and women, uh, boys and girls, uh, retirees, those on the front end of their career, you have given us work to do uh, to be fruitful, to carry out the the creation mandate and to to do our part in being fruitful and multiplying, uh, to be able to, to be productive unto you and to provide for our families. We thank you for that work. It's hard sometimes, Lord. Part of the curse is that by the, the sweat of our brow, we will, we will labor. And, and so it's hard sometimes. Uh, I'm sure there are levels of frustration in this room about the work that we do. There are people who are uh, tired of their work, people who have been diligent and haven't been rewarded yet. Uh, all these complex things we experience when we come to this topic. And I would just pray that you would help us with that. Help us to see our work the way you see it in its, uh, in its um the good that it can be as well as the challenge that it often is and help us to keep it submitted to you and to to carry out our work in the grace of your holy spirit uh, in a way that is pleasing. that you'd uh, we would ask that you'd be doing that in us and through us and help us with it uh, in jesus name we ask all this uh, amen well we are going to share the lord's supper this morning and uh, it's a little bit of a, a shift, right? It's a, it's a big shift in gears in, in a way, but, but it does connect because I'll take you back to what I said in my introduction. I, I said at the beginning that none of what I just talked about has to do with your salvation. Seriously, uh, God will not love you better if you work diligently. He will not forgive you more if you set the right priorities. It doesn't work that way. That's the right way to live. It's the wise way to live, uh, but it will not save you from your sins. What saves you from your sins and saves me from my sins, is what we now turn our attention to. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus shed for our sins, where he uh, took upon himself the penalty that you and I deserved, but could never pay. Not in a trillion years, we couldn't pay it for ourselves. And so Jesus offered himself as that propitiation, uh, the Bible says, the atoning sacrifice for our sins that's what saves us that's what makes all the stuff we talked about today relevant it wouldn't matter it's just moralism uh, apart from jesus but with jesus it's it's words of life and words of discipleship and obedience and so we turn our attention now to to the cup and i'd invite you to um, pull these out um does anyone in the room so if you're at home please uh, get get what you're going to use to share communion with us uh, if you're in the room and did not get one of these would you please raise your hand larry and ron have um have the trays we have a couple here in the middle here and we'll get you these. Um, and I'll just remind you that eating the bread and drinking the cup together, this, this is something we do as believers. Uh, and, and so if you, if you reject this, if you're, kind of, you're, just, you're here today and you came for some other reason, whatever that might have been, maybe you're exploring or a relative dragged you or whatever, if you're not a believer, um, just, just don't. I would just urge you to not eat the bread and drink the cup because uh, the scriptures tell us this is something believers do. But if you're a believer please do it. You don't have to, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm not a perfect believer. No, you're not a perfect believer. If you wait till you're a perfect believer, you will never do this. Uh, or, or I'm not as, as strong as I would like to be. Or I've still got this sin area I struggle with. Uh, brothers and sisters, if, it's precisely because we have sin areas that we need to keep reminding ourselves of the bread and the cup and what they mean for us. So um, please participate uh, if, you are, uh, if you're a believer. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we come to the cup and then we will uh, eat and drink together. (laughs) Lord, I want to thank you. We want to thank you that uh, we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Uh, There was a lot of good uh, biblical morals in today's sermon, but we are not saved by moralism. Uh, We are not saved by wisdom. We are not saved by doing the right things. We are saved because of what you did for us on the cross. And so now, Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, I pray you'd remind us of that. Uh, We do pray, Lord, you would forgive us of our sins. If there are any uh, sins that we have committed that we have not confessed to you, the confessed sins are as far as the East is from the West, you throw them away. Uh, But uh, if there's any unconfessed sin or bitterness we've been harboring or secret sin or open sin, whatever it might be, we... Pray those things, even now in a few moments of silence, we confess these things to you and ask your forgiveness for them.